as I grew along the way, one thing I wish I'd done sooner, but I did at uh, finally along the way about a decade in, start bringing in business partners and people to my company that had opposite skill sets of mine. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner-Khan. Today on episode 612 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with the author of Revenue Growth Engine, Daryl Amy. In today's episode, Daryl shares how he built his consulting business so that he feels grateful that he left what he thought was a great job 18 years ago. Stay with us to hear all the details. Leaving what others consider to be a secure job to start a consulting business can trigger lots of self-doubt. One of the best ways to overcome your self-doubt is by connecting with other entrepreneurs like yourself. That's why we created the Smashing the Plateau community. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, answers to your burning questions, and the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com slash community. That's smashingtheplateau.com slash community. Now let's welcome Daryl Amy. With 27 years of B2B marketing and sales experience, ranging from mid-sized local companies to enterprise organizations, Daryl has diverse experience across the sales and marketing landscape. He has trained thousands of salespeople in solution selling, created digital marketing strategies for hundreds of companies, and consulted with Fortune 500 technology companies. He knows what works and what doesn't. Daryl, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, David. Thanks for having me in. Uh, great to have you on. Tell me a little about your career. Yeah, I, you know, I, was, I started my career in sales. It was in B2B sales in the technology world and worked for several different companies, um, including organizations like Toshiba, and it was during that time, I think it was about 15 years in that world that I got really passionate. I had the bug to start my own, own company. So yeah, that, that all began in, uh, in just 15 years of learning, growing inside various sales and sales leadership roles in the technology world. What made you want to have your own business? I think it was in my blood. My dad had his own business. I was watching other people in my life that were going out on their own. And, it, you know, after, after spending all those years, I had great roles inside corporate America and great coworkers, worked for some fantastic companies and was doing quite well. But there was something inside me that wanted more, that wanted to know if I could pull it off that wanted also all of the freedom and benefits that could come if I actually was able to pull it off successfully. So it was uh, January of 2004 when I pulled the plug and jumped in with both feet into starting my own organization. And uh, what was it like right at first? You know, it was funny because I was just telling this story uh, to someone earlier today, the months leading up to it, when I decided to do it, were some of the most sleepless nights, anxious, wondering if it was actually going to work. But I don't know what it was. It was like that January 1st, 2004, when I actually sat down at my desk 
and realized that I had my own business or at least was going to have my own business. It was uh, one client and some business cards at that point. Uh, that There was such a feeling of peace that came over me in contrast to those months of anxiety. There was, there was just, uh, it's hard to explain, David, but there was this moment of just going, all right, we're doing this. And even though there was a little bit of nervousness about whether or not I could actually make it happen, in contrast to the anxiety, the amount of peace and freedom that I felt that January 1st morning is hard to describe. So did you have a client when you first, when you left your job? I did. And actually the way that worked, I started putting feelers out that last 90 days when I knew I was going to make the transition. And, uh, as I was very, very fortunate that my current, there was a division of my current employer that was having a challenge in the business. It was a problem they were struggling to solve. It was an area where I felt I could add value. So I'd actually called up the leader of that division, just asking for advice. By that time, I'd made the decision. I knew I was leaving. I called him in confidence to ask for some advice. And he said, you know, there's actually a problem you might be able to help us with. So it wasn't a massive contract. It wasn't recurring revenue, but it was a project and it was enough, <laughs> enough to get everything going. And it was enough for me to also learn that when you work with a company that large, that you send them an invoice and <laughs> it's usually 60 to 90 days before they get around to paying it. That was uh, a lesson learned, but it was enough uh, to just be able to, so it wasn't that immediate injection of cash flow that you would think it might be, but you know, it was enough for me to go, all right, here we go. You know, I've got somebody, at least one person that said, hey, we'd be willing to uh, throw some work your way. And, and so, yeah, that was, that was a really, really helpful. That helped me help nudge me over the edge, I think. Yeah. I find it interesting that you were way more anxious before you actually left your job than you were immediately thereafter. It surprised me. Because I don't always hear that from people. I understand that. And I will say, David, it really did surprise me because I thought that once, you know, once I stepped into, you know, stepped into my own world by myself, that I, that that anxiety was going to, to increase. But the reality was, uh, it was actually the opposite. And there was something about being in control of my own destiny, even though there were a lot of variables and a lot of unknowns that to me was energizing. It felt really good. I will say along, you know, the last, I guess it'll be 18 years here in, as this is released in early 2022, along this journey, there's, it's had its moments. There's, but what career doesn't have its moments of, uh, of anxiety and, and what career doesn't have its challenging moments? It just so happens that, you know, in the middle of all that, I've also been able to build a lifestyle and a life of freedom and growth and variety that, um, that, quite frankly, was not happening in the corporate world I was in. And I actually ran into some of my coworkers, great guys, great company, all of that. Right before the pandemic, we were at a trade show together. And, um, you know, and those guys are fantastic. They're doing really well. And all of that, we stay in touch, but they're doing the same thing they were doing 18 years ago. And that's great for some people, was not great for me. So uh, being able to call my own shots and, and um, guide some of my destiny in this and go on this adventure. To me, it was very, very exhilarating. And yeah, there was, a, there was a piece that came over me, David. It was really weird. I didn't expect it. Yeah. It's also great for your former colleagues 
to still be doing the same thing 18 years later yeah. if the employer still exists and the job still exists. That, that also doesn't always happen. That's what I tell, I, so over the last 18 years, and, and I love talking about this subject that we're talking about here today on the podcast, I have people come up to me and go, how did you do that? And how could you leave, uh, you know, how could you leave that job? And it was a good job with a great company. How could you leave that job? That's so risky. And now over the last 18 years, I've watched my friends who work for, work for large companies who just, you know, every so often like to have reorgs and shuffle things around. And, you know, they're on the street with a resume trying to find the next gig. And, you know, my, I don't always say it, but my thought is that's pretty risky because right now, you know, the beautiful thing about starting my company, and I think the beautiful thing about being an entrepreneur and going out into this space is if I have a client that cancels for whatever reason, maybe they have a business change, maybe we're done. We've kind of gone as far as we can with them or what, for whatever reason, if I have a client that cancels to me, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's just a blip, right? It's a blip. We'll, we'll get another client. We'll replace it. So to me, risky is having one source of income, one employer, you're at their whim. And, uh, you know, as opposed to having your own business where you have multiple clients, multiple sources of income, and if something happens with one, uh, we'll go get another one. It's good, but it's not a it's not a game. You know, it's not a moment of panic. So, I think there's a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to get in business for yourself. But once you're in it, once you've set something up and established some recurring revenue, then you're actually in a really much more secure space, I believe, than uh, pulling a W two. Yeah, well, I certainly believe the same thing, having been in business now for 15 years and. I say the same thing to people. If your income is from one source, it's pretty risky. I agree. So let's let's talk about your business. How did you become an expert in revenue growth? Well, I had spent my entire career, as you so generously uh, shared at the beginning, I was like, who is that guy? That's a, that sounded really good. I started in B2B sales. So I had sales in my DNA. I was a uh, sales rep, sales manager, had done sales training. And so there was, that was all out of, out of personal experience. I was fortunate in those companies to receive world-class sales training. Also uh, was fortunate to be, I have several degrees from the University of Hard Knocks in those organizations, <laughs> uh, working things out in the real world. That University of Hard Knocks has expensive tuition, but the degree program is, is really valuable. And then what ended up happening, David, I started, a, my first company was a sales training company. I'd actually been at a leadership retreat and the the guy that was leading this retreat said, I want you to do two things. I want you to make a list of everything you enjoy doing. And then on another column, I want you to make a list of everything that you're good at. And so I wrote down, well, I enjoy coming up with new ideas, sharing them with people. I like sales. I'm good at sales. I was good at a certain aspect of the software world. So I went back in the room after, after doing that exercise and the guy leading the retreat a guy named Andy Stanley, he said, stop doing everything else. If it's not on that piece of paper, find a way to stop doing it. Focus on what you're good at. So that was, I mean, that advice was enough to push me over the edge, to start a business. And so I love sales training. I loved, and I knew this little area of the software world. So I started a company doing sales training in the software space. And my very first client, and I think this is really something that is, is important. When you start out, 
you're going to have one idea of what you want to do, but the real world and the market is probably going to end up having you do something that's different. I had all kinds of ideas about what I was going to do as a consultant, but people needed sales training. I started doing sales training. My first client came to me and said, Daryl, that was fantastic. Everything you taught my sales reps, I love it, but my website doesn't say anything about it. Do you build websites? Being as it was my first client, David, you know what the answer was. Yes, sir. We build websites. I'd built one uh, for nonprofit, one for my church, had a little bit of experience, but that got me started on this journey now of now I had a revenue stream of sales training, also had a revenue stream of marketing. And uh, that just, that took me on a great journey, started several marketing agencies doing web search, social, inbound marketing, account-based marketing, all of the different evolution of that over the last couple of decades. And all of those were great because they created a uh, multiple streams of income coming into the business, created two ways to open a door. I can train your salespeople or I can help with your marketing. And so I had two entry points. And the other thing we learned to do in the marketing business, as well as the sales training business, is get out of the project business and get into the recurring revenue business. And so all of those things uh, were really helpful. But going back to the beginning, I had a different idea of what we were going to do when I started. But I realized really quickly I needed to adjust to what people were willing to pay for and what they were going to value. And uh, that ended up yielding you know, a business that, that has done extremely well. Yeah. So it sounds to me like some of the keys to your success had to do with listening to the marketplace. A, having conversations with the marketplace and B, listening to what they were telling you. Yeah, and I would like to pretend that I was a good listener. (laughs) You know, I I think there was a part of me that that had, I mean, had in my mind what I was going to do. And I wanted to do strategic plans for businesses and they wanted websites. Ironically, now, 18 years later, guess what I do? I do strategic plans for businesses, but that took about 15 years. But in the meantime, I you know, said, okay, if you want a website, let's build a website and then let's figure out how to market your business and let's, let's grow from there. So yeah, I think that there is, there is an aspect of listening. And, and the reality is when you want to generate revenue, they say money talks, right? So you need to listen to where the uh, where the, cash where the is. revenue streams are, yeah. where people are going to find value in what you do, whether whether it's exactly what you want to do or not. You know, you've got to get that stream of cash flow in, right? So now, eighteen years later, who's your ideal client? My ideal client. So I'm, I'm a partner in several businesses. My growth strategy company works with organizations that use traction, the entrepreneur's operating system. And we work with B2B companies that have sales teams and want to grow faster than they're growing right now. So anyone in the B2B sales uh, space with a sales team, we work with those organizations and help them align their sales and marketing uh, around a plan. And uh, But that's been the fun thing about being an entrepreneur as well. I've been able to build teams behind me. So one of the things I realized along the way, David, is, is that I'm actually... I'm actually a visionary. I, I love creating new things. And while I can run companies, there are people that do it way better than me. So as I grew along the way, one thing I wish I'd done sooner, but I did at uh, finally along the way about a decade in, start bringing in business partners and people to my company that had opposite skill sets of mine. So while I'm a visionary, I love creating new ideas, love speaking, I uh, love brainstorming strategy and all of that. 
the reality is I needed a team of people that were good at execution. And so it was actually about three years in, I brought my first people on board. So I, it took me about three years to learn that I needed to bring people on. And when that happened, it freed me up to be more of me and what I'm good at. And it also allowed the company to begin to scale because at the end of the day, you only have so much bandwidth yourself. So to me, that exercise that, that I talked about earlier of what are you good at? What do you enjoy doing? What are you good at? Is something I've gone back to over and over again. I'm about to go on my annual planning retreat the beginning of next month. And that's like, that's always my question is what am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? And how do I stop doing everything else? So in the middle of all that, I get to do a lot of fun things. I'm on a board of several startups right now. I work with a nonprofit. I'm a partner in a sales training company. And all of these organizations have great teams. So my pioneering entrepreneurial spirit, it continues to live on. And I just uh, now I have not just multiple streams of income. I have multiple companies and, and people that I get to work with. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It really is. It's and that's, uh, you know, every morning I get up and get to do what I enjoy doing and what I'm actually good at. And that was, you know, <laughs> the funny thing was, you'll, your listeners will probably laugh. When I sat down this week and I was waiting for my 17-year-old to get home from after his football game on Friday night and the movie Office Space was on, which is the good old movie where they're doing the TPC reports. And and there's just so much stuff in corporate America that that was just it just sucked the life out. It killed my soul. And so I was watching that movie and I was just thinking, oh my goodness, I'm so thankful I don't have to do, you know, these fire drills that I used to do. And there's stuff in my business that's mundane and not as exciting. But now, now that I have teams of people that, you know, people are doing what they're good at and what they enjoy doing, more and more of my week is, and year is focused on stuff that I am good at and where I can really add value. And to me, that's the ultimate goal is, you know, to step out on your own, but be able to scale up to the point where you can truly, you know, that first few years, you may be chief cook and bottle washer, but as you start to backfill with assistants and business partners and a team, you've got an opportunity to really create a life that um, is your ideal life, which is so much fun. Right. And even if you're not looking to create a behemoth of an organization, you will still be able to do a better job supporting your lifestyle if you start thinking about having others that are part of your business. I think so. That There's no question about that. So I'll go away at the beginning of next month. I'll leave for 10 days and um, it'll be a vacation slash planning retreat and all of that. And I won't think twice about what's going to happen back because at the I know I've got a great team of people that are are making sure things happen and get done. So to me, in the early days were rough. You'd go away, you know. Anytime I went away, I had my fingers crossed, right? I would go leave to do a sales training for the day, and I would check my email at the end of the day, you know, kind of like, oh, I hope hope everything's okay. But that was, you know, being able to scale and bring people on board, you know, what has has been really, really helpful because now I've got good people on the team. I don't worry about about issues being taken care of because they're taken care of even when I am at the office. I'm not involved in a lot of stuff that I used to have to do myself. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Daryl, are there either commonalities or differences between 
large companies and a small consulting business, small meaning it's either a solo person who's the primary the primary offering to clients or maybe a small team, are there differences when it comes to revenue growth about what's important, what kind of metrics you should look at, what kinds of strategies you may want to employ to be able to grow when you're dealing with a large organization versus, um, again, a, a primarily solo consulting business? It's really good. Of course, there's some obvious differences at scale, but at, at in reality, I say that there are two numbers every business owner needs to know, and that is how many clients do I have and what's my revenue per client? The one number that you track, how many clients do you have, is a measure of your ability to, to add net new customers. So that number should be going up. And it's also a measure of your ability to retain them. If you're taking in 10 and dropping 12 out the bottom, you're in trouble. But then the other number is revenue per client. And this is the one a lot of people miss. And that is, what's my total revenue divided by that first number, the total number of clients? That's going to give you an idea of your cross-sell effectiveness. And whether you're running a solo operation or a Fortune 100 company, the question is, how well are you doing at serving your clients and maximizing the benefit that you bring to them? And thus the, the revenue for the clients that you manage. And a lot of companies I'm discovering, especially with the book Revenue Growth Engine, and as I'm going out and working with organizations, about three to one companies, you know, if you look at those two drivers of revenue, net new business and cross-selling, three to one companies are great at net new and they're really, really weak at cross-selling. So the good news is if you're a solopreneur or a small consulting company, if you get your cross-selling strategies down to where your revenue per client begins to increase, and we were able to take our average revenue for, per client from 600 to about $7,000 a month over the last decade by using cross-selling strategies. Now we have fewer clients, they're higher value clients, and our revenue is way bigger than, than what it was before, primarily by looking at what are their problems, how can we add more value, and you know how can we become more of a meaningful part of their business. So just starting with the basic metric. Just starting with the basic metric. How many, like it should be on your whiteboard, on your wall, this is how many clients we have, and this is our current revenue per client. Hopefully, though, both those numbers are going up. What I've discovered, and this is what's really cool, whether once again, whether you're a small business, medium-sized business, or Fortune 100 company, if you get both of those growing at the same time, even at a reasonable rate, like if you show 15% growth um, net new and 15% growth in cross-sell, and you do that simultaneously, you'll double your revenue in less than three years. So I think it's, I mean, it's just math. In fact, if you text the word revenue to 21,000, revenue to 21,000, you can download a spreadsheet off our website. It will help you. I mean, it's really simple. You put in three or four numbers and it, it, it's astounding, really. I wish I'd known that when I first started out. But I think when I started to figure out that if I can find ways to continue to increase my revenue per client while I'm still bringing in new clients then that's when we saw the hockey stick start to happen in our business. Yeah, that, that's great. Daryl, in addition to, to being able to download that spreadsheet, if somebody wants to go deeper with um, anything else we've talked about or access any of the tons of resources you have, where would be the best place for them to go? Yeah, go straight to our website. Uh, you can get a copy of the Revenue Growth Engine book. If you pay the shipping, I'll get you a copy out. It's revenuegrowthengine.net revenuegrowthengine.net, 
or text the word revenue to 21,000. That'll get you over to the website as well. And of course, I'd love to connect with any of your listeners through LinkedIn. The good news about having a name like Daryl Amy, A-M-Y, is I'm a one of a kind. Actually, there's one other guy named Daryl Amy on the West Coast that has a painting company. So if you Google me, just don't pick the guy that is a painter because <laughs> I don't know much about that. So, But I do know how to grow revenue. That sounds great. Uh, Daryl, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau and share your insights. My guest has been growth strategist with Revenue Growth Engine, Daryl Amy. Thank you again, Daryl, for joining us. My pleasure, David. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Leaving what others consider to be a secure job to start a consulting business can trigger lots of self-doubt. One of the best ways to overcome your self-doubt is by connecting with other entrepreneurs like yourself. That's why we created the Smashing the Plateau community. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, answers to your burning questions, and the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com community. That's smashingtheplateau.com community. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.